You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Uh, let's let's dive in. Let's do our Bible study together. Uh, we've heard the word already. Uh, we're in the middle of our Revelation series. But bef- as we do that, I want us to this, this morning to think. I want you to stop and think about a moment in your life. And, and this is a little bit awkward to think about, maybe uncomfortable for us. Think about a moment in your life where you realized you weren't something you thought you were, right? Like, like maybe it's you, you thought you aced an exam, right? You walked out of there all confident and then like, the days later, you get back the grade, and you're like, oh, wow, I was really wrong on that one, right? Or maybe, like, you sat down with your boss for your performance review, and you get side, like, just sideswiped by, like, wow, I didn't realize I was doing that poorly, right? Uh, for me, I can vividly remember being in high school, and for, like, the first time ever, I'm writing a paper, and it just, the words are flowing, the structure's there. I'm like, this is great. And I hit print, and I take it, and I turn it in, and then... A week later, I get it back with a big D on the top and red marks everywhere. So my teacher disagreed with my ability to write. And uh, she was probably right at that, in that point, right? It set me on a trajectory to be an engineer and eventually back here to be a pastor one day. Anyways, uh, I, want us to think, I want us all to just to think about the, that space. I'm sure we all have had moments in our lives that are like this, or, or maybe you've had one moment. Maybe you've blocked them all out and they're hard for you to access, but can you imagine the empathy? Can you empathize with me thinking I was a great writer and getting a D, right? Put yourself in that position. The reason I want us to think about this is because the passage this morning is a, is a moment like that. The passage we're going to look at today is that moment for an entire church. They thought they were, they were great. They thought they had a good reputation and Jesus gave them a failing grade. They got the D on the paper. But that's not the end of the story, right? But I want us to be in that space because these were real people who got a failing grade from Jesus and directions to correct it. If you've been with us these past weeks, we're in the middle of our seven-week series uh, uh, working through the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And this book, it's, uh, it's, it's been Jesus' call upward, right? Calling the churches upward is what we've been referring to it. It's offering encouragement and in many cases, correction in each of these churches to circumstances that had them going astray. While each church, they face specific situations, the, the truth remains, right, that Jesus is calling them back to faith, to pure faith, to true belief in him. And so while our circumstances, they might be different, it's still profitable for us to think about this today because our specifics might be different, but our, chance, our, our ability to stray is still there. It's, we're still our propensity. Our circumstances may not be exactly the same, but the prescription is often the same if we find ourselves in a similar place. So no matter where you find yourself, I want you to keep this in your head always. You know, the way that I like to think about when we're reading scripture, the the passage is always anchored in the whole message of the book, right? The whole message of the Bible, right? But Revelation specifically, no matter where you're at in the book of Revelation, it's anchored in the hope that God wins in the end, right? That God is... It's the overarching purpose of the book. So even as we look at a dying church, it's still anchored in the message of hope. And that's what we're going to circle around this morning. Right? The purpose of Revelation, if you don't remember from when we started this a few weeks back, I told you the purpose of Revelation is God wins in the end, that we can have hope. Whatever our present circumstances are, whatever we face, it's not the final word, right? 
Revelation, the book, if, if you're reading it, it's 22 chapters, right? And all 22 chapters reveal that God is in control, that God wins in the end, no matter how fallen the world seems, how brutal the oppression believers experience, how dead a church might seem as we encounter it today. There's hope. There's still hope. Jesus will return and defeat evil. Good will prevail. He's going to judge all creation. He's going to establish a new heaven and new earth. And those of us that keep the faith will enjoy eternity with Jesus. And this is a crucial message, right, in the early church we talked about because they were facing a lot of hardship. As John was inspired by the Holy Spirit and carried along at about some, probably somewhere around 95 AD, there was a growing presence of Christian persecution and, and for, like, forcing to engage in Roman uh, emperor worship and religious practices. And there were consequences, right? John is on the island of Patmos writing this letter in exile for Jesus. That's, that's where he starts it, where he tells us. We, we saw that in the beginning as we read. The book is constantly reminding and encouraging us. It's warning us as believers. It's warning them. Resist conforming to the world. Resist undermining your faith by bowing to Caesar or you know, whatever the, the latest uh, oppression is or uh, the hardships that believers face. John refers to his tribulation throughout the book. And believers are called to endure that, pres- uh, that tribulation and keep their faith. The same was true in, in Sardis, the, the church we read, we just read. The same is true for us today. We need to stand firm to keep our faith without compromising. Put our hope in Jesus and trust that he wins in the end, no matter what our present circumstances are. And that's what we're going to see this morning. That's what we heard already as we read this letter. The church in Sardis, it not only needed to stand firm in their faith, right? They needed to wake up, right? Jesus says, wake up. Their faith was dying. Jesus writes to them sounding an alarm. Wake up, he says. Come back to life. In our passage this morning, we're going to see a dying church, but there's still hope. The church in Sardis, it thought it was doing fine, right? It thought it, got the good, it was going to get the good grade. It was on life support, it turns out. And Jesus says, nope, uh, not, not so good. And he offers healing direction for them. If you remember nothing else this, nothing else this morning, I want you to remember, remember that Jesus wants to revive dying faith. He's not giving up. There's no lost causes. There's no people too far gone from God. Jesus wants to revive dying faith. And that's why he writes this letter to this church. Let's dig into our passage and unpack that a little bit, right? I think it's relevant for us today when we find our place, ourselves in similar places or loved ones around us. Uh, since, this, since this letter is just six verses, I'm going to read it through once, and then we're going to walk through it in three overlapping parts. You know, sometimes I call them chunks, right? It's a real technical term for you there and how we study the Bible. So Revelation 3, 1 through 6, here it is again. And I'll put the words on the screen. I, I teach from the ESV if that's helpful for you to orient and you want to follow along yourself. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. 
If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You have yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to just acknowledge we've, this is our uh, fifth letter. This stands different than the, the letters we've encountered prior. There's not a lot of specifics about their circumstances, their situation, right? There's no mention of heresies they're facing, right? There's no Nicolaitans in here, right? We've encountered that a couple of times. Uh, there's no mention of uh, specific factions in their midst. There's no mis- mention of their love, their theology. There's also no affirmation, right? Now, some of you, you uh, picked up on, remember, when we started and I talked about the church in Ephesus, that the letter is kind of like compliment sandwich, right? Like Jesus t- told Ephesus, like, you're doing some things good. Here's my criticism. You're doing these other things good, right? It's a compliment sandwich. It's a term that I, it was common knowledge for me, I think. Some of you found it comical. This one is not a sandwich. It's just the meat, right? He's just, hi, I'm Jesus. I'm here. I got some stuff. Here's what's wrong in your church, and and I'm calling you to wake up, right? There's no bread. There's no compliments. There's no affirmations. Just critique. It's a call to action. And I think, I think the lack of specifics drives the point home. There isn't much going on in this church. It's a dying church. There's not much Jesus can point to and affirm because it's a dying church. And Jesus wants to save it. Jesus wants to revive dying faith. You know, in each letter, we start to, to notice the structure, right, that, that's here. Jesus uses a, a self-description, right, that speaks to the, the church's need and adds weight to his words. Here, Jesus pulls out all the stops, if you, if you want to look at it that way. He says he has the seven spirits of God, which is a reference back to chapter 1 in the book, which in verse 4, as we heard, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, is, is what we best can tell. Seven is uh, denoting the, the, uh, noting fullness, the completeness in this culture. By saying the seven spirits of God, he's saying the complete spirit of God, the full spirit of God is with him. And, and in chapter 1 is the full spirit of God at the, at the throne of God, before the throne of God. There, uh, so Jesus is saying, I, I have the Holy Spirit, me, the Holy Spirit, and the seven angels of the churches, right? The, which is the seven stars that we, he, he tells us in chapter one. He's got all the authority. He's got all the life-giving spirit to address this dying church. That's how he, he starts out. That's his, I, I guess, that's his, his credibility. Now let's look at why he needed to do that. What, what, what's their need? What's he addressing, right? What's he calling? out in them. We're going to look at the first two verses and unpack that a little bit, Un- unpack their, their need, their, their Jesus' diagnosis in their church. It says, let's read again, and, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Right? Just as we've seen in other letters, Jesus says, I know your works. Only this one's different this time, isn't it? 
I know your works has been a positive affirmation for many of these churches. It's not for this church. I know your works, they're incomplete, they're lacking. See, this church, it has a reputation of being a great church. But despite that reputation, Jesus says, you're dead. Your, church, your, your, your works are lacking, right? There's a sharp contrast. The world's perspective and God's perspective here, right? They're complete opposites, right? Alive and dead, which begs the question, how did they get this far off track without knowing it? They and everyone around them thought they were good, right? They had a reputation. People, people thought highly of them, thought they were alive. They thought they got it on lock, right? We got this Jesus thing down. We're good. And Jesus says, no, you don't actually. Nope. You're dead. So how'd they get there? How'd they get off track? I think it's telling that Jesus talks about the reputation because this is a clear way where we can easily lose our way as a church, as any church could. As a church, our reputation must be centered on God. It must be that we are people of the word, that we are Jesus people. Our reputation needs to first and foremost be about Jesus. Being known as, as a church that fights for this social justice cause or, or this political stance or, or the environment even, could easily lose our, it, could, it could be a false foundation. We could easily lose our way if that was the way we were primarily known. Right? They can be good things that we stand for as a church, but if it's not primarily Jesus, it's a false foundation. 